to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, April 13th. As promised, it's time for us to talk about Monte Carlo. The ATP Masters 1000 continuing on Wednesday. It was another day that brought us fantastic tennis, a day that saw just about every seed in the draw in play. It was a day that saw a couple of upsets unfold, in particular, a couple of next-gen stars. I want to highlight Sebastian Corda or the victory of the day. He comes back from a breakdown in the third set to knock off Miami Open champion number eight seed Carlos Alcaraz, 6-3 in the third. I want to talk about the mechanics of Corda's upset victory, his ability to take his backhand on the rise, both cross-court and down the line, in my opinion, won him this match. And is Sebastian Corda a better player right now on clay courts than he is on hard courts? That's a question I'd like to ponder on today's show. Of course, if it's a clay court tournament, you feel like something special is going to happen with Lorenzo Musetti just about every time. And once again, Musetti delivers the goods on the dirt. He earns a straight set upset victory over number six seed Felix Ogier Aliasim. Now Felix continues to struggle on the clay. And that's something certainly I'll touch on here today. But Lorenzo Musetti is spectacular and his movement is what separates him from everyone else. I'll explore that, explore the success he's had on the dirt thus far in his career. Is he a threat to make the second week once again at the French Open? I'll explain why the answer to that question is an unequivocal yes. Of course, there are plenty of other good matches on the day. Some of them saw top seeds advance. Andre Rublev survives in three sets in what was a fantastic match against Alex Diemenauer. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about Alex Zverev getting his tournament underway. Kasper Ruud, a straight set close victory over Holger Rune. And then, of course, you had some of the other seeds who we saw play earlier in the tournament, but are now playing their round two matches, the Sinners of the World, Fritz's, Hercots's, etc. Want to get into their performances again. Was a busy day of action on the grounds at Monte Carlo. Plenty for us to highlight on today's show. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out here at Crack Rackets is because of the support we get from all of you. And again, we are immensely grateful to those of you who take the three minutes to leave a five-star review, leave a comment in the comment sections on Apple iTunes, on uh, Apple Podcasts, Podcast, excuse me, on Spotify, wherever it is you listen to this show. It helps us with the computer generator, helps us with the ratings, with the formulas. And obviously, we always want to hear your feedback as well. How can we make this show better? What are the topics, the things you all want to be hearing? Obviously, I would love to be able to incorporate all of those things into these, show and so, uh, these shows. And so, obviously, please feel free to leave that comment in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you listen to the mini break. Of course, a huge thank you. To our friends at Tennis Point, the lifeblood of the show, without whom none of it would be possible, of course, if you need anything. And again, you've earned it, folks. All that hard work you've put in at work, in the gym, etc. You want to be at your best when you actually get to step onto the tennis court. That's where our friends at Tennis Point come into play. They offer the best equipment at the lowest price. You go to tennis-point.com today. As you know, use our promo code CR15. You'll let them know we sent you there. Get 15% off all sale items. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best 
of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Again, tennis dash point, simple, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's look at Wednesday's action that unfolded in Monte Carlo. And of course, the place we have to start, the upset victory that some people, I assume, woke up to as we all inevitably, unfortunately, at this point of life, we roll over when we wake up, we check our phones. Some of us, the most unhealthy, I suppose, such as myself, go check Twitter immediately to make sure we haven't missed anything. Now, I was up, of course, to watch this match. Some of you may not have been able to do that, or you're taking your kids, getting them ready for school, getting yourself ready for work, getting yourself ready for school, whatever it, is, uh, whatever it is it may be. But we certainly all saw Sebastian Corda, 7-6-6-7-6-3 victory over Carlos Alcaraz. And you look for Sebastian Corda. Here's the stat I want to start with, because of course I want to get into the mechanics of this match as well. But let's just start foundationally here. Sebastian Corda, 44-27 and 27 in his career in tour-level matches. By the way, for a guy who turns 22 years old in July, pretty damn good to win 62% of your first, what, 71 matches you've played at the ATP tour level. You look at his splits by surface, and certainly that Wimbledon fourth round he made last year uh, stands out at the top of mind in terms of a grass court result, and I think he's unproven on the grass courts, but given his size, his serve, his ability on, as a returner, he's already top 15 amongst top 50 players. It feels like Though it's not a big portion of the season, grass court success is something we can project fairly confidently for Sebastian Corda. You'd look at his splits on the two main surfaces, hard courts, clay courts. He's 28 and 20. That's a 50% win percentage on the hard courts. He holds serve 79.3% of the time, which is outside the top 25. Break serve 25.1% of the time. That is a top 25 number. You look for him on clay courts. He's 11 and 6 overall. Smaller sample size, but a 69% win percentage. Better than the 58% he's shown on the hard courts. Yes, his hold percentage drops 3% to 76.3, but his break percentage jumps to 31.8. In terms of total points won, he wins 50.9% of total points he plays in matches on the hard courts. 51.5% of total points he plays on the clay courts. You look at the significant clay court results for Sebastian Corda in his career. Not only was the big mainstream breakthrough result for him at the 2020 French Open, makes the third round, knocking out John Isner, knocks out Pedro Martinez, who won a clay court title. It's worth noting earlier this season before bowing out to Rafael Nadal in the fourth round. So he's already got a fourth round uh, at Roland Garros under his belt. He won his first and only ATP title in Parma uh, in May of last season, you know, beating Tommy Paul, beating Lorenzo Sinego in straight sets. Good win over former French Open semifinalist Marco Cecchinato in the final to earn the title. Sebastian Corda has had a pronounced amount of clay court success. And while his victories, you know, 7-5-6-4 over Botic Vanderson Schulp in round one here, unsurprising. A three-set victory over Alcaraz is surprising given the context. Alcaraz looked like the best player in the world on his way to the title in Miami. And, the you know, the majority of his success at the challenger level at rising up the ranks came on clay courts. He won a title in the South American swing, the 500 on clay courts. He is, you know, the foundation of his success has come on clay courts. And yes, Sebastian Corda beats him in three sets today. And when you look at the mechanics of this victory, again, a 7-6-6-7-6-3 victory for Sebastian Corda, it was how fluidly he moved on the surface. And that's why I wanted to bring all of those stats up for all of you in, ter uh, in terms of, again, 
uh, Sebastian Corda in his career because you look at the five to eight shot rallies in this match. Sebastian Corda wins 47 of them. Carlos Alcaraz wins 31. Nine plus shot rallies. They play, you know, Alcaraz is plus one. Unknown rally length, meaning longer than that. Alcaraz is plus two. Uh, so again, overall for Sebastian Corda, he's plus 13 in the rallies that go longer than five shots. Now, Alcaraz, in terms of the serve plus one, he was plus eight above Sebastian Corda. But the physicality Corda showed as a mover in this match was phenomenal. He was able to absorb the first strike of Carlos Alcaraz. He kept Alcaraz honest the entirety of the match by being willing to take his backhand up the line. And, you know, his ability to take the return of serve on top of, inside of, or just just behind the baseline, use his side his, uh, size, his condensed backswings, particularly on the backhand wing, the Alcaraz kick serve, which he uses so well to create first forehands. Corda did a good job of neutralizing that by taking it early on the rise, taking time away from Alcaraz. You know, Sebastian Corda won the battle of court positioning in this match. Alcaraz was the one constantly six feet behind the baseline. And while he's good enough as an athlete, as a shot maker, some of the lobs he was able to come up with in this match, laughable as always, the pressure Corda put on Alcaraz from the start of this match went out. And again, it was Corda's ability to take the ball early, up you know, up the line, on the rise. You look for Sebastian Corda in this match. 43 winners against 54 unforced errors. Now that's minus nine overall, but you know, 43 winners to Alcaraz's 24. And yeah, 54 errors to unforced errors to Alcaraz's 36, but it was Corda being the guy pulling the trigger in the rally, being the aggressor, playing on his terms. And he executed about as well as you could ask him. Now, he only made 59% of his first serves, a number that is lower than his average traditionally, but he won 66% of his first serve points. He saved 13 of the 19 breakpoint chances he faced versus converting 7 of the 10 opportunities he had. Sebastian Corda played an efficient match, and again, he, because of his size, 6'4", 6'5", and he's still a fluid mover who can slide into his shots, which as I always say on these mini-break podcasts, what separates the good from the great movers on clay, the good movers slide out of their shots, the great ones slide into them. Despite his size, he is still a fluid enough athlete to slide into his shot. His power on those shots are, you know, is not compromised. The backhand has always been special in his ability to absorb the inside-out forehand of Carlos Alcaraz and keep Alcaraz honest, not allow Alcaraz to camp out in the ad side corner and hit forehands by Corda taking his own backhand up the line was beyond impressive. And again, Alcaraz goes up to love in the third set. Corda wins six of the next seven games and was the more aggressive player and seemed to take the legs and the wind out of Sebastian Corda, uh, out of Carlos Alcaraz. This was an immensely pr- impressive performance for Sebastian Corda. And you look for Corda now overall, again, at the Masters event, uh, o- Masters events over these past, you know, couple of years. He goes round of 16 Miami last year. He goes, you know, round of 16 at the end of Paris last season. Round of 32, lose a very tight straight set match to me Amir Kasmanovich in Miami this season three set loss to Rafa yeah it was a round of 32 but a three set loss to Rafa 7-6 in the third in Indian Wells a match he probably should have won and now he's into the round of 16 here in Monte Carlo he's showing it consistently you look for Corda with this result now Sebastian Corda going to fly up the live rankings and in fact for Sebastian Corda now up to a new career high in the live rankings of number 36 he wins another 
another match will be up to a new career high ranking of number 31 I've been saying it since the start of the season five you know four and a half five and a half Americans seated I say five and a half at the U.S. Open Fritz Opelka Isner all feel pretty much like locks at this point Tiafo. Corda, Brooksby, Tommy Pauls of the world, they're all in strike range, folks. They're all right now inside the top 40 of the uh, of the ATP rankings. Six folks, uh, excuse me, seven folks, seven Americans in the top 40 of the ATP rankings right now. That is not something we've been able to say since the 90s. And again, the complete nature of Sebastian Corda's game, his willingness to serve and volley in this match. And you look for Sebastian Corda. Uh, again, he wins over 70% of his matches at the net. He's comfortable both on the forehand and backhand wing, putting that ball away, comfortable hitting the overhead, you know, takes time and space away, mixed in. A be- obviously, if you watch the highlights, you'll see the drop shot he hits on set point up 6-2 in that first set breaker. I thought he did a really good job of mixing in that drop shot as well because he was on top of the baseline, was playing line drive tennis, and Alcaraz was camping six feet behind the baseline, and Corda kept him honest, and some of the drop shots didn't work, but some of them did, and when they worked, they worked particularly when they needed to, and again, the drive he has on his slice, such a complete game, his clay results right now might arguably be better than his hardcourt success, he has a fourth round on grass courts as well. Sebastian Cordic's game just works, and it works across surfaces. And again, I haven't talked about the Carlos Alcaraz much in this, who I don't think served particularly well. I thought his second serve was sitting up the entirety of the match. You know, Corda took advantage of that fact. You look for Sebastian Corda, 24, uh, excuse me, Carlos Alcaraz, 24 winners against 36 unforced errors. Part of that is because Corda imposed his will upon him. Part of that is because, again, Alcaraz didn't look completely comfortable as a mover on the surface. And it just took like, again, give the guy two matches to acclimate, to get back on the stuff after being on hard courts for the first three months. And, you know, again, I think court size is uniquely suited and strength on the back end uniquely suited to handle the game of Carlos Alcaraz. Court also played a, not a flawless match, but a very, very high-level match. And I think this result is a testament to Corda more than anything about hitting the panic meter on Alcaraz. He still should be one of your five favorites to win the French Open. And yes, I do think by the time the French Open comes around, he'll have his clay legs under him. He will look that good. That's the fun, right, folks? We still have Barcelona. We still have Rome. We still have Madrid. We still have a lot of clay court tennis to play. No one is hitting the panic meter on Carlos Alcaraz. I don't think anyone's even talking about hitting the panic meter on on Carlos Alcaraz. I think more than anything, we're all just excited right now about the level of Sebastian Corda. But certainly, that was your biggest result of the day. Sebastian Corda, a three-set victory over Carlos Alcaraz. You look for Corda now. Draw opens up for him uh, certainly a little bit as Sebastian Corda going to take on Taylor Fritz, your number 10 seed Fritz. A three-set victory over Marin Cilic, 6-3-4-6-6-4. You look for Taylor Fritz now, again, over the last 52 weeks and just the results uh, Fritz has put together, especially since the knee surgery, right after last year's French Open. You look, you know, again, at the end of last season, makes his run all the way to the finals in St. Petersburg. Obviously, semifinals is probably what I should have said first at Indian Wells, where he beats Virev, Sinner, Berrettini, even a really good win over Brandon Nakashima as well. Goes quarterfinals, Paris Masters, round of 16, Australia, wins Indian Wells, round of 16, Miami, now finds himself in the round of 16 of Monte Carlo. Three sets wins over Katarina and Chilich. 
Fritz only made 55% of his first serves. This was really first strike. Not the greatest movement tennis between he and Chilich. And yet, Fritz's weapons now are big enough to where if you don't have the movement to withstand them, if you can't extend a couple of rallies and force Fritz to work into the match, if you can't constantly extend him physically with your own plus one tennis, which Chilich was able to do for a lot of the match, but not all of it, Fritz is going to beat you. This is a testament to the strength of Taylor Fritz. And by the way, again, this is his probably best clay court result round of 16. In fact, I'll look again. You look for Taylor Fritz in terms of clay court results he's able to put together in his career because certainly Taylor Fritz now winning Indian Wells, that's the most successful master's event uh, that he's had. But you look for Taylor Fritz overall in his career at the ATP level on just clay courts. Fritz is 23 and 22 overall. Prior to this, he's made a third round at Roland Garros. He made a round of 16 Monte Carlo 2019 before getting knocked out by Novak Djokovic. I think we all agree. This one feels a bit more real. And for Korda, coming off of a physical victory over uh, Carlos Alcaraz, the win over Botic as well. Fritz, two three-set wins. I have no idea how this matchup between uh, Korda and Fritz is going to go. Now, Korda is the betting favorite, but Taylor Fritz, 54.9% chance of winning according to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast. I know it's down stupid. Who's going to serve better? Why I think Sebastian Corda wins this match, he's the more comfortable mover on the surface. I think he does have the sort of plus one weapons as we saw him utilize against Alcaraz that will give Fritz trouble, get Fritz extended into the outer thirds of the court, expose Fritz's lack of elite movement. He does not look very comfortable. Uh, You know, he's gotten so much better on the hard courts. He's gotten better on clay, not as comparatively comparatively to the hard courts. The improvement hasn't been as drastic. I think Corda should be the favorite. But I think that's going to be a very fun match. Now, your biggest upset on the day belonged to Lorenzo Musetti. And certainly we've seen Musetti have a succession of clay court results uh, early uh, in his career. You look for Lorenzo Musetti overall in his career, 20 and 11 at the ATP level already on clay courts. That includes a round of the round of 16 in Rome back in tw- September of 2020, where he beat Wawrinka, beat Nishikori before getting out knocked out by Kopfer. You look for him last year, of course, most notably makes the round of 16 at Roland Garros, goes up two sets to love on Novak Djokovic before bowing out. And obviously he only won one game over the duration of the next three sets and retired down four love in the fifth. But he was up two sets to love on the eventual Grand Slam champion, Novak freaking Djokovic. He's made you know, semifinals in Lyon, semifinals in Sardinia, quarterfinals in Cagliari and Marrakesh. Lorenzo Musetti has already proven he's at least a top 50 player uh, on clay courts. I think he's got the movement of a top 10 guy. He is just so fluid on this surface. And with all due respect to Felix Ogier Aliasim, who goes up a break of serve in the third set and hits some imposing forehands, nothing is too imposing for Lorenzo Musetti. He's going to track down at least four extra shots in every rally that you play in. His athleticism, his strength, the fluidity on the one-handed backhand on this surface, it's the most gorgeous one-handed backhand I have ever seen on a clay court. I will say it, it is the best one-handed backhand I have ever seen on a clay court. How ambidextrous is the wrong word, but just how fluid. That's the word I keep coming back to. His ability to hit the passing shots down the line, cross court, his ability to take that ball on the rise, to hit that one-handed backhand short hop behind you to incorporate the slices, the drop shots, his ability to hit that shot and how much freedom he has on the run. I mean, he worked Felix. He just 
Felix was never comfortable. And then on the clay courts, yeah, Musetti's got a weird backswing. It's a little hitchy on the forehand, Tiafo-esque. On the clay courts, he has that much more time. And he's such a fluid mover that he counts his steps and measures them so well that he times that forehand perfectly on the clay courts. And some of the cross-court angles he was able to create in forehand cross-court exchanges against the forehand of freaking Felix, he's just using the heaviness of Felix's ball against him and then using his own racket speed, using his own hands and his feel to create angles. It's special. And just, again, he is that sort of athlete who not only slides into his shots but can also slide out of them and change direction. He's comfortable serving and volleying. He's comfortable at the net. Now, of course, his second serve does sit up. But Felix wasn't able to consistently punish it. Felix wasn't able to hit Musetti off his spots. And again, Musetti's a completely different player on hard courts versus on clay courts at the ATP level. You look for him, 16 and 22 overall on hard courts. He holds serve 77.9% of the time, breaks serve just 16.5% of the time. On the clay courts, he's holding serve 76.3% of the time, which, yeah, is a percent and a half drop off, but just about everyone drops off by a percent and a half on the switch from hard courts to clay. His break percentage, up to 28.2. You look amongst the 2021 averages on the ATP Stats leaderboard. Again, 2021 averages for clay court play. The average break percentage on clay courts was 27.9% in 2021. Musetti's at uh, 28.2. So again, he's above, you know, that 28.2 number would actually, coincidentally enough, be one spot above Sebastian Corda, tied with Pedro Martinez Portero for 19th amongst top 50 players. That number, that metric matches what we see with our eyes. And I do think, again, because he has a little bit more time while his second serve hangs short, he has a little bit more time to defend it. A little bit more, again, and defensively, the guy is just special. Six feet behind the baseline and then going from six feet behind the baseline to hitting it on the run, four feet inside the baseline, passing shot. And just, again, the drop shots, the angles, his ability to, when he sees you're struggling to change direction, sneak in, move forward, hit a volley and knock it off to take time away from you. He just... His skill set translates so well to this surface because his movement backs it up so well. He took the racket out of Felix's hands. He made Felix so uncomfortable. And again, Felix has struggled. There is no denying that over the past, you know, month uh, across surfaces, but he struggled in general, of course, as well on the clay courts. And you look for Felix now. He's lost, you know, five of his last six matches. Since losing to Andre Rublev in the final of Marseille, he's lost, you know, Three sets to Botic, first round of Miami. Straight sets to Kasmanovic, first round. Uh, my uh, excuse me, Botic was Indian Wells. The loss to Kasmanovic in a vacuum, Miami, not a bad loss. Loses round of 16 to Alex Mulcan in Marrakesh. Sure, Mulcan goes on to make the final. Sure, it was 7-6 in the third. In a vacuum, not a bad loss. This loss to Musetti, in a vacuum, not a bad loss. But compounded together, the struggles seem real. For Felix Ogier Aliasim, and you look for him overall, again, in his career at the ATP level on clay courts, Felix had some success early on, and you look for him, he made a final early on in Lyon back in May 2019, made a final in Rio February 2019 as well. You look for him since then. Felix has lost uh, seven of his last nine matches. He's lost 10 of his last 15 as well, 12 of his last uh 12 of his last 18, he struggled 
on these clay courts, no doubt about it. And you look for him again since tw- the start, uh, you know, post-pandemic, September 20. Felix Ogier, Aliasim overall. I believe he's, yeah, uh, he's 5-11 and 11 overall in clay courts since September 2020. That's just not going to cut it. You can't have those sorts of deficiencies on the surface and expect to stay in the top 10. And you look for Felix again. His first serve percentage isn't dramatically lower it's just the effectiveness of his plays. It's his ability to, again, grind backhands out of the corners. His ability to turn defense into offense when he doesn't have his feet under them on this surface. It's clearly a struggle for him. And, you know, again, finding f- not just the first forehand, but the two forehand combinations on his surface game, it's just a little bit harder for him when his serve isn't biting as much as it does on a quicker surface. That said, again, I know I'm a glass half full sort of guy. The story for me coming out of this one is Lorenzo Musetti. And you look for Musetti, who uh, had fallen uh, down the rankings certainly a bit. You look for Musetti, currently number 83 in the rankings by making the round of 16 here in Monte Carlo. He's back up to number 68 with this clay court season ahead of him. And yeah, he's got serious points to defend at the French Open, but he's also got a bunch of opportunities. And at 68, you're for sure getting into qualifying in Barcelona, in Madrid. He probably gets a wild card into Rome, given he is Italian. Uh, Wouldn't shock me at all to see him make another round of 16 on the clay courts. And if he makes another round of 16, or should he make a quarterfinal? And you look for Lorenzo Musetti now here. uh, He's going to take on Diego Schwartzman, who uh, Schwartzman ultimately pretty impressive victory. 0-6 over Marton Fucevic. Does Schwartzman have big enough weapons to really hurt Musetti? I feel like there might be 15 breaks of serve in that match because, again, Schwartzman's so relentless on these clay courts, but so is Musetti. That is going to be just a bout of athleticism. And Schwartzman is the favorite, both via the odds makers. He's also 72.8% favorite, uh, according to Tennis Abstract singles uh, forecast. That said, with how well Musetti's striking the ball, his backhand may be the single biggest weapon on the court. And again, I think both these guys are going to get clean looks on the return of serve. I think both of them are going to be able to turn defense into offense, work the angles. Again, can Schwartzman get enough drive on his ground strokes to do damage to the Lorenzo Musetti forehand. If you don't, if you give Musetti time on that wing, particularly on a clay court, he's just going to open up space for himself. I kind of like Musetti in the upset. I kind of like him to keep rolling, but that's certainly one of the most intriguing of the round of 16 matches. And again, there were so many good ones on the day. I want to try and touch on as many as of them as I can. Rublev Demonauer had the better scoreline, but just two seconds on Yannick Sinner versus Emil Rusevori. Rusevori's just getting better, folks. He moved so much better here in Monte Carlo than I thought he was as a mover uh, on the clay courts earlier in his career. And, you know, again, he blinked. There's no doubt about it. He was down a break early in the first set. He breaks back to take a 4-3 lead, 5-all. He double faults twice in his service game, misses a couple of second serve returns. He blinked at the end of that first set, and that gave Sinner confidence, and ultimately Sinner takes a 7-5-6-3 victory. But, man... Rusevor's ability to take a backhand that's close to his body and snap it up the line as a line drive, there's like, again, 12 people, I think, on the ATP Tour who can hit that short sort of shot with the ball that close to their body. And then again, watching Sinner and Rusevori trade forehands, it's the Spider-Man meme manifesting itself on a tennis court. Now, what's the difference between Rusevori and Sinner? Rusevori's a bit more line-drived base. Sinner's ability to open up angles for himself to find, you know, again, to 
extend things cross court by, you know, really working on the angle with both the drive and working the short angles to just put Rusevori in uncomfortable positions of the court. And then again, viscerally, you could feel every time Yannick Sinner tries to open up a court with a cross court backhand. I thought Sinner was excellent in his five and three victory. And for him to bounce back after, you know, looking as ragged physically as he did in his victory over Chorich in his first round match, that's exactly the sort of mature physical bounce back I want to see from Yannick Sinner. And you look for Sinner overall in his career, 75 and 30 on hard courts, 22 and 13 on clay. And yet, you look at those clay court results. Quarterfinals in 2020 at Roland Garros, he's knocked out by Rafa. Round of 16 last year, knocked out once again by Rafa. He's made a semifinal in Barcelona. Outside of those three particularly notable results, not a single other ATP-level quarterfinal for him on the board. Now, he's got a big opportunity against Andre Rublev, and I am curious how they, he feels physically Rublev. What a fantastic victory in a three-set win over Alex Diemenauer. And I thought Diemenauer played great. I'll get to that more in a second. But, I mean, again, Sinner's had notable results. But he still hasn't made a quarterfinals at the Masters level on clay in his career. And this is a major opportunity for him to do that again. I thought he just... There was he was more dynamic than Emil Rusevori. And certainly Rusevori is a guy where dynamicism is not his calling card. But again, Sinner's ability to find angles, to serve and volley, to, you know, play short angles with his volleys as well, and just open up court and space for himself. He was able to craft points better than Rusevori, who was able to trade blows with him evenly. And I do think that's a big takeaway for Rusevori. This is a great start to his clay court season from a confidence perspective. But credit to Yannick Sinner, he earns the victory. He's now going to take on Andre Rublev. Rublev, perhaps, again, one of your matches of the day in a three-set victory over Demonauer. Demonauer, uh, you know, he earns a 2-6-6-1-6-4 victory. The depth on Demonauer's backhand in particular looked as good as I've seen it. But you look for Rublev, who could not buy, you know, again, it felt like uh, success with his first serve in terms of just slapping. And he just started rolling it in, started opening up space for himself. Rublev ultimately makes 75% of his first serves in this match, fights off nine of the 12 break points that he faces, 30 winners against 33 unforced errors. The reason I bring up all of these stats, he was extraordinarily patient throughout the course of this match. I thought he was really rushed in that first set, and I thought he was trying to, you know, anytime he got stretched, he was trying to pull trigger early down the line or trying to force himself into inside-out forehands when that spot wasn't available to him. And then he got calm. Then he got patient. Again, you look for him in this match. He makes 33 total unforced errors. In set number one, Rublev made 12 of those 33 unforced errors. So really, I thought, steadied the ship uh, after that first set and just, you know, again— use the heaviness of his forehand to get Demonauer stretched into the outer thirds of the court because as quick as Demonauer is as a mover on hard courts, I think he's really good on the grass courts as well. He is not comfortable changing directions on clay. You can just tell he doesn't he doesn't feel like he has his feet under them when he's trying to slide into a passing shot and then change directions the way he so clearly does when he's tracking down extra ball after extra ball on the hard courts. And, you know, again, that's why he either A, goes for a little bit too much when he's stretched into the outer thirds, or B, he starts leaving the ball short, and that's a ball Rublev just pounces on. And good luck dealing with the heaviness of his forehand on these clay courts. And just, again, the patience Rublev showed in set number two. 
in set number three. It paid dividends. He got Demon Hour stretched. He ultimately found the short balls he was looking for. I thought it was a really good performance from Andre Rublev here uh, in Monte Carlo to kick off his campaign. And, I mean, Rublev has had some serious clay court successes in his career. You think back to him making the run to the Monte Carlo Masters final la- uh, you know, last season where he was knocked out by Stefano Tsitsipas. Of course, he made that Hamburg 500 final in September of 2020 right after the pandemic. And, you know, he beat Tsitsipas in a three-set final there. Again, good luck dealing with the four, Andre Rublev's forehand, how heavy it is, how much it rips through a court on a hard court, let alone on this clay court when you don't have your feet under you. And his movement, unlike, you know, Taylor Fritz, who I talked about earlier, has gotten a lot better as a hard court mover. I still think he has wonders to go as a clay court mover. Rublev is just a better mover across surfaces, period. He seems comfortable sliding. Certainly, he is a good mover, not a great mover. He doesn't slide into shots. He is comfortable sliding out of them and changing direction. Uh, Again, I think the the kick serve he's developing is really effective on this surface because it opens up so much space for him to attack with his forehand. I thought the depth he was getting on his backhand was solid as well. You look for him at the net. I thought he was pretty comfortable there. He just, again, this was a very physical match, and Andre Rublev ended up winning it. Now, of course, for Rublev to play a physical match this early in his Monte Carlo campaign and clay court season, just typical Andre Rublev, I am fascinated to watch his matchup with Sinner. Again, I think, with all due respect to Musetti Schwartzman, that is your matchup of the round of 16. Rublev, Tsitsipas, Rublev right—oh, excuse me, uh, Rublev, Sinner. Rublev, uh, Sinner right now, a 51.4% favorite over Andre Rublev. By the way, with Carlos Alcaraz knocked out of the tournament, your tennis abstract singles forecast favorite to win the event, Kasper Ruud. 25.6%. Then Zverev, 22.5. Tsitsipas, 22.1. Now, of course, the reason their Tsitsipas and Zverev are a bit lower is because they would have to play one another. Uh, that's the only reason. But still, worth noting. That said, Rublev, fantastic in his victory. And don't forget about his clay court success that he has had uh, throughout the course of his career. He now going to match up with Yannick Sinner. With that said, sort of jump around, talk about the rest of the day's results. And again, we'll keep covering all of this action here in Monte Carlo. You look across the board. Good win for David Goffin, 7-6-6-2 over Daniel Evans with his win in Marrakesh. He's now won seven matches in a row. And you look for Goffin now by making Making the round of 16, he's back into the top 50 of the live rankings, number 49. Just means you're not going to have to play qualifying, right? You get into the Barcelonas of the world for sure, but you get into the Madrids, you get into the Romes. You know, if you play well there, you got a shot at being seated at the French Open after dealing with all these injuries. 31 years old. That's all David Goffin is. Moves the ball so well around the court, hitting the return of serve so purely. Just such a, you know, again, such a solid all-around game. No discernible weakness. And he moves well. And he turns defense into offense well. Uh, It's going to be really fun to watch him against Davidovich Fokina because those are two athletic guys who can do a little bit of everything. Now, Davidovich Fokina is the more sporadic of the two players, certainly. He's also got the more firepower of the two. And right now, David Goffin with his recent success, 55.7% favorite, according to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast. Again, that's a pick'em sort of match. We've already talked about Fritz and Korda. Casper Ruud, I thought very, not very impressive, but very heady victory in his, what was it, 7-6, 7-5 win, I believe. Yeah, over Holger Runa. 
the Runa return of serve, especially on the clay courts, the depth he's able to get, and it's on the forehand or backhand wing, and it just gets the point back to neutral. And again, his ability, to, that backhand's just a slingshot, and the elevation of his forehand over the net, it just puts you as an uncomfortable position to strike the ball. That said, the heaviness of the rude forehand one out. Oh my God, is that thing a weapon on these clay courts? And then he has you thinking because he changes direction with it so well, and then he mixes in the drop shots, and you know, again, changes direction well with his backhand, can slice the backhand is comfortable moving forward that forehand is a slingshot and has enough kick and action on it that it jumps through these clay courts he didn't play his best and yet you know again runa didn't have a definitive enough weapon to turn to consistently enough to win himself enough free points against Casper that ultimately the physicality, the relentlessness of the rude forehand and heaviness combination won out. It's a good first match victory for Casper, who's now going to match up with Grigor Dimitrov. Dimitrov, of course, yesterday, the three-set win over the Deuce. Dusan Lajevic, rude, a 76.8% favorite, his forehand into that Dimitrov backhand. It's a favorable matchup. I expect Casper Rude to advance. And then Hubi Hercots, really nice. Nice three-set win for him over Pedro Martinez. He's top five in hold percentage here in 2022. That serve is translating across surfaces now. He's a comfortable mover, particularly for his size. You know, his ball is a little bit flat. The angles he hits are more pronounced, I think, on grass courts, on hard courts, than they are on clay courts because of the flatness of his ground strokes. That said, the slices, his ability to, you know, use his quickness and his length to get to the net suddenly, take space away from you, take time away from you, just how uncomfortable he makes you that's certainly effective when you when you don't have your feet under you like his opponents don't on these clay courts and so you know again for Hubi, it was the discipline he showed in his three-set win over Pedro Martinez. I've seen Hubi lose a close, you know, physical second set and then just kind of go away in the third, slap around at the beginning, try some things if they don't work. Okay, well, this was a good effort. He just played too well. That was not the case for Hubi, who's quietly made the round of 16 or better now at five of the last seven Masters 1000 events, has, I think, four quarterfinals under his belt as well. Now, this would be the first on clay, but a big opportunity for him against Albert Ramos, who... Of course, it's the lefty three-set win over Cam Norrie. I mean, he just Albert Ramos did up. Vanola's, I mean, just again, moves so well. Is going to track down that extra ball, get sneaky good depth on his forehand, change direction on you, incorporate the drop shots. Just he's a grinder on the clay through and through. Hercot's a 55.9% favorite against her, uh, against Ramos on any other surface. That would be at least 75-25. That's the respect the forecast shows for Ramos's clay court success. Well-deserved. Uh, that's going to be a fun match. I think Hubi should win, uh, but it wouldn't shock me at all to see Ramos win a lopsided set. You look beyond that, Laszlo Jir. Forehand's not aesthetically pleasing. Guy is just in it physically. He's going to take on Pass, but if that Pass straight set blitzing of Fabio Fonini was any preview, I just don't know how Laszlo hurts Pass enough. I expect Pass to advance comfortably in straights. And then, you know, your final matchup, Pablo Carreno Busta, who earns a three-set victory over Sasha Bublik. Bublik forced to retire 4-3 in the third. Carreno Busta wins a 7-6 second set to extend that match. He's now going to take on Alex Virov, who was down a break, I believe, multiple times. Ultimately, though, earns a 6-1-7-5 victory over Del Bonus to advance. Again, that match is going to be physical. The first set, Zero was just lights out. And when he moves as well as he does and hits the ball as heavy with as he does on that side, with his size on this surface, his serve, it's just a nightmare to match up against. And look, Carreno Boost is going to stretch him. He's going to force him to play extra shots. That match, you know, it's going to be physical. And, you know, at, at the start of the first set, there was a bad couple of bad first serve percentage games for Zverev. You know, Del Bonus attacked the second serves. Carreno Busta will do the same. 
that's a good litmus test for Zverev here early. If he gets a confident 2-2 two and two win, plays some of his best tennis, now you look at the rest of the draw. He's got the winner of Sinner Rublev, then a potential Tsitsipas. This will not be an easy path to a title for Alex Zverev. He has struggled here early in the season. If he wins this title, this would be certainly uh, a step in a big step in the right direction for him uh, heading towards, obviously, the year's second Grand Slam. But credit to Karina Busta, who made a round of 16 quietly at the Australian Open, now into a round of 16 here at the Masters 1000 in Monte Carlo after, you know, not the greatest of sunshine stretches. But with that said, that's where things stand on Wednesday. That's where things are heading into our round of 16 in Monte Carlo. Of course, we will be back to cover all the action as it unfolds here on the Mini Break Podcast. Now, if, though, you're looking for some of the action happening elsewhere in the tennis world early, Today, we talked about the latest junior events, the Easter Bowl, San Diego ITF Grade 1, with the GOAT of tennis media coverage, the GOAT of junior coverage, in particular, Colette Lewis. Of course, we talk about all college things on the GSP and on our Cracked Interviews podcast as well. You can follow it all on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, you can watch our broadcast Friday of all SEC matches on the team websites. You can watch our Big Ten broadcast every Sunday on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. And of course, you can follow all of the podcasts by like, rate, and subscribe reviewing to this show, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews, and our YouTube feed to ensure you don't miss out on anything. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at A.L. Gruskin. A shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. With that, uh, shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Uh, go to tennis-point.com. Use that promo code CR15 today. With all of that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.